Come on, can we praise God for a moment? Come on, take a moment just to praise God, to thank God. Praise God. Woo! That's the first time I've seen that video. Uh, just to give you a couple of details on this, um, February 1st, or fe- the first Sunday in February will be the first Sunday. We'll be in the Williams Center. We'll still be keeping this location, um, but Sundays will be there. As the video said, 50% uh, more attendance available, 50% more parking available. And let me just share a quick kind of praise moment on that. Um, We'd prayed for years to get that facility. <laughs> Literally years. I met with the mayor twice personally. We went to the Bergen County Executive meeting, did a speech there, why they thought, why we thought they should give it to us. <laughs> they didn't agree. Came over to the King's Court, literally forgot, completely pushed that aside about that building and uh, was just like, well, that's not it. And funnily enough, a couple of months ago, it, it kind of came knocking back on our door and as an opportunity. At first, my wife and I were like, no, why, why would we go back there? But our word this year was go again. And I don't know about you, but go again, that's not the greatest theme for a year. What does that mean? Last Sunday of the year, I get to announce to you, we're going again to the Williams Center. Um, We believe it'll be about a two-year. They will redevelop that into uh, apartments and so forth. So it's not a long-term fix for us. God has another space for us. That's why we're going to continue to build leaders, build financial leaders, continue just to believe for God's favor across our church. Um, So it's a step. But here's the interesting thing. I preached through Joshua recently, and God parted the waters what they could not part. This is a parting of the water that we could not part. And the cool thing is that the man who owns the place, he's just went and spent probably $500,000 over the last six months to a year on money we would have had to spend, but we didn't have to spend it. So anyway, praise God for that. Come on, one more time. Let's give the Lord a hand in the house of God. Praise God, praise God. Our 8.30 service is packed. You guys decided to get church in early today, didn't you? That's why we need a bigger space. Praise God. Praise God. Genesis 13. If you've got your Bible, if not, there's a massive Bible behind me. Genesis 13 says this. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. It says, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great uh, trees of Mamrah at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Come on, let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you for every child in our kids' space right now, every teacher teaching them, valuing them, speaking to them, honoring them. Holy Spirit, flow in that place. Lord, in this place and those who'd watch online today, but in this sanctuary and every man and every woman, 
every young man, every young woman. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus, I thank you for the past. I thank you for what has been. I thank you for the miracles of 2023. I thank you for all the answered prayer. I thank you in advance, God, and, and for what has been done. Men's lives transformed. Women's lives transformed and becoming more resilient. Father, I thank you for vision imparted. I thank you for faith imparted of what you have done. I thank you, God, for all the things we're able to do through giving Christmas away and mission trips done. I thank you, Lord, for the past. But God, today, Lord, it is a new day. And so, Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for this day, but I thank you for the future. I thank you for 2024. God, I pray that you would prepare your people now to step into 2024 with new faith, new vision, a fresh perspective. God, speak to people where they need it. Lord, guide people where they need it. Lord, strengthen what must be strengthened, oh God. Lord, in the name of Jesus across this place, let the life of heaven touch every life right now. Draw people that don't know you. Let faith, Lord, that is, that is, that it's almost foreign to them, get in them, God, that they would begin to walk with a new, with a new walk and speak with a new, with a new talk. And, and, and Lord, just begin to, to, to walk that with that new step, Father, I pray. So Lord, in Jesus' Name, do something significant, I pray. One more time, let's give the Lord a praise in the house of God. Praise God. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, are you ready? All right, grab your seat. Tell the person next to you, you look amazing. Can we thank our worship team? Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Come on, can we put our hands together for all the dream teams that just serve across our church all year long? And The title of my talk today is Remove the Veil. Remove the veil. Someone say, remove the veil. Even, even make it a prayer. Just say, remove the veil, Lord. In Genesis 12, God has given Abram an incredible promise that he was going to bless him. He was going to make his name great. And he was going to make him a blessing wherever he went. And the Bible says that Abram went. He departs from his land, departs from his people. And then it would say this interesting line, it would just add this little line, and Lot went with him. And Lot went with him. Lot. Lot went with him. Listen to Genesis 12, 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Genesis 13, 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt and his wife and all he had, and Lot went with him. Lot. Lot came. Lot was a lot of problems. God had told him, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land, I'll show you. So he brings his wife, he brings his workers, he's got servants, he's a wealthy man. He's, he's literally going not just as one or two men, but he's going as a tribe, but his cousin Lot comes with him. He was meant to leave his father's household, but cousin Lot, He's a good guy. You ever, you ever meet somebody like, oh, he means well. <laughs> he means well. He just seems to get in trouble all the time, but he means well. You ever said about someone, yeah, they've got a good heart. But wherever they go, they seem to get in problems. That was Lot. 
Let me give you a, a couple of descriptions of his, this cousin Lot. The first clash they had was over land. Abraham is blessed. He's not just blessed, he's multiplying. He's multiplying and multiplying. He literally, the Bible says he has so much land and, uh, sorry, not so much land, but so much cattle and so much sheep and so much goats and he has silver, he has gold. And, and Lot is also multiplying so much so that the herdsmen are getting in fights. How many of you are bosses? Anyone a boss in here? Like you oversee yeah, I oversee people and so forth. And how many you know drama doesn't come back to you unless it's big? Not just a little tension in the office, like you're starting to hear there's tension, right? And that's Lot and Abram, there's, there's tension with the herdsmen, they're fighting with one another, and it finally gets back to Abram and Lot, and it sounds like in the text, the Bible will just skip over details. How many you know that, notice sometimes it's just like, It'll skip over 75 years and just say nothing. Well, so when it says something, there's something going on. So Abram and Lot are actually getting, they're getting tense and they're getting, they're getting fired up. What do you mean your goat's eating my grass and your sheep's eating my grass? And they're getting tense. It's an interesting kind of moment. And here's what the Bible says in Genesis 13 verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, please, someone say please. You've got to hear the, the, the emotion in here. Please, let there be no strife between you and me. Why is he saying, please, let there be no strife? Because there's strife. And he says, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren or brothers or cousins, is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. I brought you. Now separate from me. If you take to the left... I'll go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. How many of you, if you say to your cousin, if you go that way, I'm going this way. Or if you go that way, I'm going this way. How many of you know there's tension? There's drama. There's emotion. This is, I brought you on this trip, and all you're doing is causing me problems. Does that make sense? They journey together. And there's drama, and they separate. The Bible says that Lot actually pitches his tent, which is his house, near Sodom. Someone say near Sodom. It's, it's near Sodom, but you fast forward a little bit, he goes from near Sodom to in Sodom. Sodom is known as perhaps one of the most wicked cities literally to ever live. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by God, and he went from near Sodom to in Sodom. The kings of the land actually go to war, and the kings... That, that Lot was associated with, they lose the battle. And so he actually gets captured. And Abram doesn't go, well, <laughs> well, that's what you get, big boy. Mess with my sheep, mess with my goats, stuff you. He doesn't do any of this. He actually shows himself to be a man of character and a, a man of integrity. He shows his leadership. I want to say this, he shows his warrior spirit. Abram is not just a man of faith. He doesn't, he doesn't just go to church. He's a, he's a priest of the house. He praises God. He's the prophet of the house. He hears from God. He's the provider of the house. He multiplies things, and he's a, the protector of the house. Every man should be all four of those things, the prophet, the priest, the protector, and the provider. And Abram is this as an example to us, and he gets indignant, and he says, man, I'm going to go rescue Lot, my cousin, 
who's caused me problems. I shouldn't have brought him, but I brought him. And because I brought him, I'm going to rescue him. And then he takes 318 men trained in his house. Genesis 14, 14. I find this scripture so insightful for us. 318 men trained in his house. He doesn't call 911. There's no 911. He doesn't hope that just because God is with him, everything is going to go right for him. What you actually see is he's a strategist, he's a tactician, he's, he's a planner, he's, he's a warrior. He is not just trained himself, he's trained 318 men who know how to kick some tail. I love that. 318 men, that's a lot of men. And they go and they literally go and they rescue Lot and they bring him back. It's a great day. Abram's got to risk his life for Lot. How many know Lot was a lot of problems? Let's keep on going. How many problems Lot was? Genesis 18. Some angels show up to Abram and they literally say, we're going to destroy Sodom. And because he's a prophet and because he's a priest, he's not excited that Lot, sorry, Sodom is going to be destroyed, he begins to plead for it. He's got a merciful heart. It's, it's a beautiful description. And he begins to pray and begins to say, God, hey, if there's 50 men, don't destroy it. God says, don't worry. If, if there's 50 men, I won't, I won't destroy it. He says, oh, by the way, Lord, if there's 45 men, don't destroy it. He's like, don't worry. If I, 45 men, I won't destroy it. He gets on down. He keeps negotiating with God. And finally, he keeps on negotiating. He says, there's 10 men, just 10. Why is he praying for Sodom so much? He's praying for Sodom because Lot's there. And maybe he's hoping that Lot influenced a few people. And maybe he can save it because, man, maybe Lot's faith is carried. The Bible actually teaches us that Lot was not a bad guy. Actually, he was a righteous guy. But you can tell from the text that Sodom had very much been influencing not so much Lot, but his wife and his kids. You can tell from the text that Lot has kept his faith, but his faith doesn't seem to have transferred so well. And then actually the angels of God literally have to come and rescue Lot out of the city. His wife turns around, she gets turned into a pillar of salt, and his two daughters get to come. But the brother-in-laws or the, or the, the, the fiancés literally think that, that Lot's joking. It sounded like a joke. But fast forward just a tiny bit, and you can tell how much Sodom had got into his daughters. Shortly after, they literally get their dad drunk, and they both get pregnant. Here's the interesting part of the story. One of them produces the Moabites, and the other one produces the Ammonites. The Moabites were enemies of, of the people of God, and the Ammonites also were pagans. Lot is a lot of problems. Think of this, because of Abram's decision to bring his cousin, not only does he have drama, not only does he have to go and risk his own life and bring trained men to actually rescue him, what he actually created was enemies for Israel for generations. Why? Because he brought Lot. Lot's a good guy. Lot's got a good heart. Lot's a, he's Lot. You know Lot. He's Lot. He means well. You want to bring him to the party. He's the life of the party. Lot. 
What would hurt me if I brought Lot? What would hurt you if you brought Lot? But maybe it's not Lot you're bringing. Maybe it's just an attitude that you're bringing. Maybe it's not Lot you're bringing. Maybe it's the same confession of your family that you're bringing. Maybe it's not Lot you're bringing. Maybe it's just attitudes that you've picked up from your culture. And God says, I need you to drop this part of your culture. Because when you drop this part of your culture, something's going to shift in your life. Abraham has left one side and God's saying, man, I'm trying to bring you here, Abraham, but you're hanging on to Lot. You're hanging on to the familiar. Have you ever done any renovation in your home? Haven't you noticed that you have to destroy what is? And sometimes it's hard to destroy what is. Oh, but, oh I've had this bathroom for 20 years. But how many know to get a new bathroom, you have to destroy the old bathroom? You literally have to gut it completely and, and you've got to let go of the old. You've got to embrace some dirt, some struggle, some, some moments of like, well, how's it going to be? But how many of you know God is the ultimate designer? God is the ultimate beauty bringer. God is the one who says, man, if I'm going to ask you to destroy something, if I'm going to ask you to remove something from your life, how many know something more beautiful is going to come? Something more spacious, something better, something that looks like it reflects heaven. See, sometimes we're hanging on to an old, ugly bathroom, an old, ugly house, an old, ugly attic, an old, ugly basement. We're hanging on, we're like, oh, but I've had memories here. And God's like, can you, can you remove this? I have something more beautiful. I have something more spectacular. I have something else, but you're going to have to get rid of that. And sometimes we're still hanging out in our old basement desiring the new. Or we're, not, we're, we're like, oh, I'd let it go, but it's, it's going to be painful. It's going to be work. Yep. Discipleship is work. Discipleship is the embracing of God's truth, God's grace, God's love, while sometimes ripping down certain things that you're like, oh, that hurt. Are you with me? Lot brought a lot of problems. Genesis 13 says this. Sometimes in Scripture you can read past things, and then if you'll just sit on it for a moment, you'll see it, and it'll jump out to you. And then you'll say, oh man, God's speaking to me. Listen to Genesis 13. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south and east and west. I want you to see this. The Lord said to Abram, after when? Let's try that again. The Lord said to Abram, The Lord said to Abram, when? Genesis 12, God gives Abram this incredible promise. He's walking with God. He's worshiping with God. But Lot's with him. And after Lot leaves, it's like all of a sudden, Abram sees after Lot had parted from him, now he says, look, other translations say, see, see, I, 
from around where you are to the north and south and to the east and to the west. Here's what's interesting. Lot, the word Lot means veil. Abram is veiled as long as Lot is with him. Abram is partially seeing what God has for him, but he cannot fully see because he's got Lot. He's still carrying the culture of the Chaldeans, which is an ungodly culture, and he's always hanging out with Lot, and anytime he's hanging out with Lot, it's like he partially sees, but when Lot departs from him, now he fully sees. Are you seeing this? Lot means veil. So when the veil is taken away, Abram sees with greater clarity, and watch this now, and greater clarity always produces greater strength. Come on, give the Lord a hand. The goal of me teaching this isn't for you to look around the room and think to yourself, well, who's Lot? Because if you're not careful, you might be Lot. The goal of me teaching this is to understand that to step into a new year with strength, to step into a new place, you often have to get rid of some kind of thinking, some kind of confession, ah, new year, same old problems. I don't know how you declare your year, but I have found that you'll rarely live above your confession. If you want your life to lift, your thinking and your confession has to line up. Let me say this, you can't pray big and talk small. You can't pray big prayers, can't show up to church on Sunday, praying significant prayers, but Monday to Saturday, you have the exact same confession. Why? Because how do two walk together unless they are agreed? So prayer is not just a prayer I pray. Prayer becomes this this life that I align myself with so that I know that God, He's unveiling some things off my life. Now I can see the promise. Now I can see what's in front of me. Now I can see. Why? Because I've left Lot. I've left old thinking. I've left old confessions. I've left old ways. I can't lead at the same level by speaking the same old ways. You might be like, well, I'm Italian. I'm Portuguese. I'm, I'm Brazilian. I'm this. I'm that. I'm, I'm from New York. I'm from Bayonne. I'm from the Bronx. I'm from this area. And haven't you noticed that each town has its own confession? Each town has its own way of speaking. And that's cool. Obviously, there's accents all over the place. And, and we have a very diverse church, but let me just say this, when it comes to, we're not to be a multi-cultured church, we're to be a diverse church, but we're to be a kingdom culture church. It's very different. I'm actually to take my culture, the good of it, and embrace the good of it, but I'm to let go the bad of it. Australia has a no worries mate culture. No worries. How many know that's Biblical. Paul, no worries. Jesus, no worries. Man, Australians, we're holy. If you look at the no worries, mate, culture, we're holy. We're awesome. 
We got some people in our church from the Caribbean, and I mean, no worries, man. No worries, man. Right? But how many you know no worries, man? Doesn't get it done, man. I had a friend of mine, he was trying to get his place fixed in the Caribbean. And he goes down there nine months later, and let me tell you, it was no worries, man. And he said, if I don't have any worries, I'm going to worry you. Because <laughs> sometimes the truth of your culture is it's a blessing. And actually part of it, part of the language of your culture will actually many times be a kingdom culture. But most of the language of your culture will actually need to be shifted. Even church culture. Church culture can be, can be like, man, God can do anything, but we can't gather people. Where God can do anything, but New Jersey's too expensive. We are God do miracles, but we can't get any business people. And our big prayer over here is actually being silenced by our negative confession over here. We're called to build disciples over here. Oh, but we can't gather men over here. You can't have both, friend. We've got to be praying big and saying big. I complimented a man in our church recently because I was talking to his son. I said to his son, he's probably 15, 16, I said, how are you? He goes, I'm amazing. And I was honestly, I was so impressed that a 15, 16-year-old young man was saying, I'm amazing. Because most times I get, huh? <laughs> but let me tell you, it's because of the dad. The dad, when I see the dad, he's fantastic, he's amazing. And guess what? It trickles on down. And so if you want your life to be more amazing, how many know you, got, you can't just go, uh, how you going? Uh. Now I'm not saying that we're to be fake and walk into church and, oh, blessed and highly favored brother. Blessed and highly favored brethren. But then Monday you walk out and you're negative. That's not... That's not, that's, that's fake religious facade culture. It's not good. But God dealing with you on your speech, personally, privately, is critical. I felt like the Lord gave me an assignment a while ago when there was about 100 men showing up to our, to our men's transformed nights. And I felt like the Lord said to me, stop making excuses why there isn't a 1,000. And it rocked me to the core. I kind of went, I, I, I don't think I am. But I think in my own language, I think in my own confession, I think in my own, well, it's hard to gather men. Oh, the Giants do it pretty well. Football teams do it. Basketball teams do it really well. Hockey teams do it really well. Let me tell you, the house of God is going to do it exceptionally well. We're graced. We're graced to gather men. We're graced to grow men. We're graced to be a house that empowers people. Men and women, young men and young women. Amen. There's a number of examples in the New Testament. I won't take too long on this. The Pharisees were so blinded by the hardness of their own heart that when God does a miracle right in front of them, they literally can't see it. Heals a blind man who's been blind for 40 years and they literally can't see it. It was a blinder over their eyes. It was the hardness of their heart. In, in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us that if we don't keep growing, it's like we've forgotten the Lord. And it says, and it's like we've got 
spiritual blindness. In Revelation chapter 3, the Apostle John says the same thing. There was a church there in uh, Laodicea, and he says, you think you're rich, you think you're amazing. He says, and you are blind. Someone say veiled. Come on, say veiled. When Lot is removed from Abram's life, all of a sudden, Abram starts to see clearer. When you remove what God is asking you to remove, you will start to see clearer. It sometimes hurts a little bit. Again, it's like an old basement, an old bathroom that actually has some memories there. You're like, oh, but it's, but it's good. He's like, no, I need to remove this so I can show you fresh insight on your life. I'm going to have um, the worship team to come. and In a moment, we're going to partake of communion, but let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I thought at the end of the year we'd take communion together and ask the Lord to lift some veils. Maybe it's something you say. Maybe it's something you confess. Maybe it's something you believe. It happens to the Christian who's been a Christian for 30, 40 years. It happens to the person who's been a Christian for six months. Um, Veils regularly come over our lives. And unless the Holy Spirit reveals it, you often don't see it. You often don't see the limitation of your own life. You often need a God moment. You often need a word moment. You often need someone else. How many know it's someone else sometimes that points it out? You're like, ah, oh, gosh, why didn't you just tell me? He's like, I did. You ignored me for six months, so I sent someone else. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is removing the veils. How many know when Lazarus comes out of the grave, Jesus does the resurrection? He says, Lazarus, come out. But then he asks two other men, now go and unravel him. Jesus did one bit, the miraculous. That's the symbol of salvation. But guess what? The two men coming alongside Lazarus, that's the symbol of discipleship. Unraveling the person so now he can go and lead. And Lazarus goes on and he's one of the first bishops in the early church. Why? Because he was dead. And he says, I know he's the resurrection and the life. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now look at verse 28. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of, uh, uh, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Why don't we stand to our feet? Behind you on your seat or under your seat, you'll find a... um, you'll find a communion cup and why don't you go ahead and just open the first part where the wafer is which is the representation of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ take the wafer in your hand why don't you close your eyes 
all across this place. Why don't we pray this simple prayer? I've been praying all week that God would remove some veils, that He would reveal some veils so that you could remove them. Maybe mindsets, maybe speech. Maybe there are some lots in your life who literally keep you held back and holding you back from seeing all that God has for you. As we step into 2024, let's, let's remove the veils. Let's take away the things that God has said, no son, you're gonna leave that. No daughter, you're gonna leave that. You might mourn it, you might, you, you might miss it, but I, following Jesus all these years now, I can promise you this, when God is removing something from your life, it is absolutely so He's getting ready to give you something better. Take the wafer. Father, we remember you. We remember you sent your son. We remember he died on the cross. I remember his blood shed from his hands, from his feet, from his head, from his back. I remember the whippings and the bruisings. I remember the mockings. God, we remember today the jeerings. We remember the rejection that he faced. We, we remember that he did this so that the veil would be torn from top to bottom so that we might access the presence of God. And you know, Father, that so often veils come over us that we don't even know many times are there in our mind, in our heart, through shows we watch, through things we listen to. They, they just come, Lord, through our flesh sometimes, through our community, through mindsets that we take on, Father. And so, Lord, in this moment, bring to you our hearts, bring to you our minds. Lord, as we remember the price you paid, we remember your body. Open our eyes, Jesus. Open our mind, open our heart that we can see with new perspective and new faith. Help us see you in the light of your glory, God. Shift our priorities, God, where they might need it. Forgive our sin. Just take a moment right now before you eat. The next 30 seconds. Just surrender afresh to the Lord. Focus on Jesus on the cross. Remember His deep love all across this place.
just sing that for one more one more time as we're about to take the blood of Christ. Father, we remember the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. For we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest no one should boast. According to your word, Isaiah 1, 18, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. I thank you, Lord, that we don't bring our righteousness. I thank you we bring yours. Jesus, impute your righteousness onto every mind, every heart. Just as Romans 5, 17 says that just as through one man, death came. But how much more? through the one man, Christ Jesus, shall they learn to rule and reign in life through the death of your Son. We confess our sins to you. Wash us, God, of anything that would hinder us. Reveal to us what needs to be revealed. Take and drink. Let me read a passage of Scripture to you, and then we're going to sing a praise song as we end this. Ephesians 3 says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Come on, can everyone say amen? Come on, can everyone say Amen. I want us to end with a bit of praise, but as we've taken away the veil, as God has been revealing, I believe, to certain people, things that you just need to remove, let's believe that we're going to walk into 2024 with new vision, with new strength, with new purpose, with new promise in our lives. Come on, let's, let's praise, let's worship for a moment. Come on.
thank you for every service across this church for all of this year. I thank you for every job, every home, every life, every marriage, every person. God, that you love and you know. Take these moments. Faithfield Church said, and a Faithfield Church said, I want us to do something real quick before we kind of close service. I do have to do two things, but first of all, um, I want you to confess something. I think a new faith often starts out with a new confession. It's something I confess on a regular basis over my life. I sometimes do it with our transform leaders and realize I haven't done it too much with our whole church. I never want to leave the ladies out. Amen, ladies. Amen. My wife gave Kate, Pastor Katie a look. That's right. She's like, we're, we're princesses. We're important. Queens, whatever. I don't know. You, know. you do you. Someone say, in Christ, I am strong. In Christ, I am courageous. In Christ, I live with heaven's vision. I'm a person of honor. I seek after wisdom. I walk in love. I am diligent in all things. I sacrifice for the next generation. In Christ, I'm blessed. In Christ, I'm blessed. In Christ, I'm blessed to be a blessing. I declare blessing coming, flowing over my family, my generation. For 2024, God has more for me. I let go of the lots. I press onto the promise. In Christ, I am blessed. Come on, if you believe it, give the Lord a hand clap in the house of God. Praise God. Praise God. Hey, close your eyes for me. I never want to forget, there's always going to be people coming back to Christ, receiving Christ today. Maybe you're online today and you're watching and you've never received Jesus. His blood has never washed your sin away. You don't have to work your way. His blood washes away. It's His grace that saves. It's His grace that gives mercy. It's His grace. It's His love that was poured out upon the cross. And as we put our faith in Him, He applies the blood which applies the blessing to our lives. And we can walk with God because He's given us a gift called righteousness. So maybe you're in this place today and you've never received Christ. I want to pray with you. Maybe you feel like you're away from God. You need to come back to God today. We're going to pray a prayer as a church family together. And after that prayer, I'm going to ask you quickly to raise your hand, raise up high, and then receive one of our free resources. So come on, let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. By faith, I turn to you, away from trusting self to trusting you. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. From this day on, help me walk with you. Help me know you. Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible love. If you're in this place today and 
you prayed that prayer, you met business with God, A, you're coming back to God, or two, you're receiving Him for the very first time, I'm going to ask you to shoot up your hand and shoot up high all across this place, all across this place. Praise God for you, praise God for you. Anyone else today, praise God for you, sir. Praise God for you in the back there. Praise God for you, man. Thank God for you. Thank God for every one of you. You can put your hand down. Father, I thank you for every hand. Thank you for every heart. In the awesome name of Jesus.